Deanna and I went on our first road trip with our granddaughter, Addie, about a month ago. I have a cousin on my mom's side who has terminal cancer. His name is Ronnie Spencer. He's my mom's brother. And he and his family live near a small town in South Dakota called Claremont. They sent out an invite inviting the family to get together for an afternoon to celebrate his life while he is alive. So we met at the Legion Hall in this little ghost town. If you can picture it, there are a few buildings that line Main Street, and that's the only street in town that's paved. I couldn't believe it. It's like I went back in time. There, there were gravel roads through the rest of the, city, the town, I should say. It's not a city. But it was once a thriving little town. And the life of all those towns in their heyday was the railroad. I stood under the sign Claremont, looked down the tracks and thought about my mom in the 1920s and 30s who would board a train that would take her to what was called the Hub City. And the Hub City was this city where there were like eight separate railroad companies who had their own tracks coming into the northeastern corner of South Dakota, the Hub City. And there they would, they would come to, to the stores and, and do business and, and buy certain things and then get on the train and, and go back to the various little towns on the prairie. And that hub city was called Aberdeen, South Dakota. And uh, my mom lived in Claremont, and it was interesting to, uh, to stand there and think, my mom as a little girl used to hang around this town. Addie was our special guest on this trip. And boy, did she and all of us have a great time. It was good to connect with the extended family and share our love and concern with them. We stayed at a hotel in Aberdeen and took Addie to what's called the Storybook Land, a cool little amusement park that's built on children's stories. And she loved it. There's a little train that goes around this little amusement park. It's nothing like what you would see in the big cities. It's not like that, but it's a fun little park. Kids absolutely love it. There's Addison. And there she is, that little girl. <laughs> Underneath the rainbow. It really is kind of magical. You see the, the castle, can you see the castle right there in the, in the background? And that's, she wanted to go there more than anywhere else. I mean, there were all sorts of fun little things to do, but she wanted to go to the castle. And there on the stage, in the castle, on the, on the platform, she would play the part. We went on three separate occasions. And every occasion she went, and the first day we were there, she played Snow White, twirling and singing, and her imagination is incredible. The next day, we'd just take a few hours here and there, it was Cinderella, and she knows all the lines in these stories, in these movies. The third day, Princess Kesu, more contemporary. Princess, I think it's Anna in Frozen, I mean, she has that movie memorized now. 
and she played that part, and we had to sit there, right? It was fun. Ashton, AJ, remember we sat on the, on the bench and just watched her do her thing. And it was just so much fun. On the way back to the hotel, Deanne had to stop and get a few things at the store. It was, it was taking a little bit of time, and, and Addison had a little, had a little meltdown. In, in the back seat there, in her, in her car seat. She, she started to get a little sassy and bossy. Remember that, guys? And it was like, I, I, I looked back and she could see her reflection in, in the, the, the window of the vehicle. I think she just wanted to, to watch herself as she, she played this role now. I wanted to say, Addie, don't be like a bird that fights itself in a mirror. Those birds never win, neither will you. But I didn't. I just politely said, Addie, don't talk like that. You can't talk like that here. To which she responded, now she has a hard time pronouncing the letter F, okay? (laughs) And so she said, Grandpa, you just don't want me to have any pun." You, you take away all my pun. All the time you do that. <laughs> I had to chuckle. Sometimes I'm just like her to my father in heaven. I think that's what it must sound like to him, to my, to my Abba, to my daddy. God, you just don't want me to have any pun, do you? I think sometimes you just smiles and forgives and has mercy. Why do I sometimes buy the lie, maybe you do this as well, and actually believe that God would rather have me sad than glad? I catch myself actually believing that lie Because somehow I feel a little bit more spiritual if my face is riveted to the carpet. And I walk around like I'm wearing sackcloth and ashes and saying, woe is me. Life can be bruising and hard. There's no doubt about that. There are definitely seasons of lament in our lives where we do mourn and we are sad. But the land of lament is not God's relocation plan for us. Can you say the word through? I want you to say that word with me, through, through. When God takes us through this area, this season in our life, He doesn't ask you to bring a trowel and a bag of cement. He says, just take your tent because you're passing through. You're not digging footings and making a permanent location. The truth be told, Jesus prayed for his disciples during the hardest time of their life, the night of his crucifixion, and he said to them, I'm praying that you would experience my, do you remember? Hardest time of their life. 
He said, I'm praying that you would experience my joy. That's what he said. John 15, 11, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. John 16, verse 20, you will grieve now. And he's saying that to all of us. There will be seasons in your life where you grieve. But you won't stay there forever. You're just passing through. You will grieve, but your grief will what? Turn to joy. Right now you're sad and that's appropriate. And this won't be the only time in your lives where you experience grief, but I'm praying for you that my joy may be in you. So God wants us to be joyful, right? It's okay. It's spiritual to have the joy of the Lord in your heart. And when his joy comes, what follows close behind is happiness. Not happiness first, that's based on happenstance, on what's happening in our lives. It's joy first. And then he brings his happiness. And can I let you in on something as we go to the story of Joseph in our new series? This is really important that you get, that you get this. This whole message hangs on, on this one point. Jesus said, it's the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. Happy, that's what that word means. Blessed, happy are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Because when you see God, your heart will be full of his joy. Can't help but be that way. So here's the connection. Jesus' joy is connected to purity. That's it. Joseph didn't have a perfect heart. Remember the story? As a 17-year-old teenager, he was a self-centered, egotistical, spoiled brat, and that were his good points. Just like your teenager. Don't say that to him. We don't have any teenagers like that. But as the story unfolds, we see that Joseph does has a, he has a pure heart. His wilderness experience lasted a long time, that season. But his heart didn't grow hard and cynical there. We're in Genesis 37. If you have your Bibles, we're picking up our study in verse 17. Just going to read the story. Sometimes it's, it's good just to hear, listen. They have moved on from here, the man answered to the response, the question that Joseph had, where, do you know where my brothers are? My dad sent him, sent me to find out how they're doing. I heard them say, let's go to Dotham. 
So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dotham. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they, they plotted to kill him, right? Here comes that dream, dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him. Throw him into these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, the oldest brother, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. I think he was just trying to save face with his dad. He was on the outside of his father's grace and favor. So when Joseph, verse 23, came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him in the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm and myrrh, And they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites, not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. All the brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern, sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites, who took him to Egypt. Judah's motive was to profit from what he did. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, the boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in blood they took the ornament robe back to their father and said, we found this. Their hearts, man, a living. These guys were hard-hearted. We found this, examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. He recognized it and said, it is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son many days. All of his sons and daughters came to comfort him. What did they say? What could they say? But he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. We're using the book in our series by Pastor Stephen Elliott, Joseph, A Story About a Family. And we have a copy for $10. And many of you picked up this book and started reading it this past week. This is part two in our series on the character of Joseph. I'd encourage you to, to, to buy one of these books, purchase a book, sign up for a Joseph Life Group, and talk about this incredible story. Last week we looked at Joseph, Joseph's family of origin. It was a pretty messed up family, wasn't it? And if there's hope for, for that family, there's hope for our family, no matter what circumstance you find yourself in. 
We talked about the three, three lessons to learn. This is just a quick review. No family is exempt from adversity. Number two, no enemy is more dangerous than passivity. Number three, no trial is beyond the redeeming touch of Jesus Christ. Today, I want to point out some of the contrast between Joseph and his brothers, namely purity versus deceitfulness and the fruit thereof. It's a story of a family and contrast in the family. Joseph on one hand and his brother brothers on the other hand. Joseph had a, a pure heart, not a perfect heart. We talked about that already. But he had a pure heart. His brothers had deceitful hearts. They were a bunch of deceivers about to deceive the one, their dad, whose name means deceiver. I think they learned how to deceive from their own father. Before God renamed Jacob, his, his name literally meant deceiver. Can you imagine that? Now, God changed his name to Israel. He had an encounter with God, but that's another story for another time. These brothers... What were they like? We read the story. We, we got the heart of these guys. They were like rats swimming home towards a sinking ship. It was going down. The question I have is who's enslaved in the family? Maybe you would say it's Joseph. He's enslaved, right? Yes. He's sold as a slave. Yes, he ends up in a foreign country in chains. Yes, he lands in jail, never deserving any mistreatment, waiting 13 long years. That's how long he stayed in prison. Minutes away from being released, someone forgets to say a word about Joseph. But his heart was always free because he was a pure man. Whereas the brothers go home free, right? Who's in chains? Joseph, look at him. He's in chains. He's a, a slave sold to the Ishmaelites. There's no chains on their brothers. They go home free, but their hearts were enslaved. Going back to their dad, they worked their plan. They all agreed on the talking points. This is what we're going to say. Now they had to live their lie. Do you know how hard that is to live a lie? Constantly trying to cover your tracks. You ever been there before? It's hard. You spend 
more energy trying to figure out how you're going to deceive someone with your words. Then you got to cover your tracks constantly. They were liars. It's absolute bondage and joyless living, trying to perpetuate the lie for well over two decades, hoping that when you get together for family gatherings that no one slips up because of their overwhelming sense of guilt and shame. For all those years, these guys were in their own jail cells, right? Joseph was in jail, but in jail, he was free. Yes, he had heartache. We're going to talk about that in the weeks to come and pain. But his heart was never imprisoned. He lived as a free man. Someday the the brothers, they, they thought they could get away with this. They thought the guilt would go away. You got to do is read the story. Never does. I should say, until they're faced with their past in a graceful way. Because who dealt with them in a graceful way? Later on, as the story unfolds, and Joseph finds out these guys from the land of Canaan, they're my brothers. Read the story. It's a fascinating story of how Joseph acted like he didn't know them. And the reason being is that as the story unfolds, he confronts them with their own sin. Why? To lord it over them? To rub their face in it? Not at all. I mean, when he was a 17-year-old kid, proud and egotistical, he said, you're all going to bow down to me. But when they do bow down to him, he what? He lifts them up. He says, this was all part of God's plan. You meant it to harm me, but God meant it to save me and you and our family. He lived in grace. He walked in grace. So when it was time for the brothers to fess up, he extended grace to them and releases them from their own prisons. Wow. Beloved, the good news is that we don't have to live a lie for two more decades. Are you there somewhere? A little like Joseph's brothers, living some kind of lie, covering your tracks, compromising your convictions and values. Have you started to lie? rationalizing what you're saying to your spouse or to your friends or to your co-workers. It's just not that bad. 
Joseph ends up in the house of Potiphar. Meanwhile, verse 36, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. What happens in Potiphar's house? I mean, he wins the favor of Potiphar. Everything that he touches, God prospers. Potiphar knows this guy's got, he's got God's blessing all over him. Who is this, this young man? The only thing that is not entrusted to him is Potiphar's wife, and she seduces Potiphar, or seduces Joseph. He makes no excuses. He rationalizes no sin. He doesn't say, well, look at what I've gone through in my life. I deserve to give myself to this temptation. No. He runs. Today is a day of encounter. That's what the word does. Sometimes you come to church, you gather together, and the Lord just encourages your heart and builds your heart to the point where it's just like, wow, I'm ready to face another week. Sometimes the Holy Spirit just is convicting. And that's always to build your heart, too. Beloved, we can come clean with the Lord and be free. In that house of Potiphar, Joseph always spoke the truth. To Potiphar's wife, he speaks the truth. To Potiphar himself, he speaks the truth. He ends up in prison, but he's still free. Speaking truth starts with speaking truth to ourselves about the condition of our own hearts. Not somebody else's heart, but mine. So what's the message? Contrasting Joseph and his brothers. It's simple. It's the message of 1 John 1, 5 through 10. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie. And do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves just like those brothers living that lie for over 20 years. And the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. And what? This is awesome. Purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make God out to be a liar and his word is not in us. So the message is
Come clean and you, you will be clean today. Come clean and you will be clean. And when you are clean, your heart is pure. And when you are pure, you will see God. And when you see God, you will know and experience his joy. And then and only then will you truly be happy. Jesus said it. Happy are the pure in heart, for they and they alone shall see God. So you got two cans. One works, one doesn't. You can cover your sin up and deceive yourself and live a lie. Or you can confess it. So we're going to give all of us time just to do that today. Because in the end, this is a very uplifting message. Because God wants us to be joyful. But his joy only comes to those who walk in purity. And you're saying, well, that's not me. I'm like those brothers. I've done some terrible things in my life. I've made some awful mistakes. I've committed some sins that I can't even hardly mention. So, today's a new day, right? It's a brand new day. Don't leave here with condemning thoughts. That's the devil. That's the enemy. No way. Conviction's good because conviction is God just, he just puts his finger, a gracious father puts his finger, finger right on the area that, that he knows if, if I don't deal with this, there's no joy in this, that, that can come in this person's life, this one that I love, my son, my daughter. So what are you covering up? Just come clean. Be free. So I'm going to have the team come. We're going to close with a couple of songs. First song, I just I want us to sit and just listen. At first, Nathan wrote this song. It's called "Lord Make Me Clean," and just listen to the song. And then maybe later on, we can sing it together. "Lord Make Me Clean," Holy Spirit. Sometimes these are hard words, Lord. But we need them, Lord. We need you to do spiritual surgery in our hearts. You're, you're a great surgeon. You're kind. You're understanding. Your bedside manners are compassion. Quit lying. Tell the truth. Start telling yourself the truth. That's the word the Lord spoke into my heart. Don't be a deceiver. There's a connection between knowing God's joy and deceit. So make us clean.
And then the second song we're going to sing, then we're going to stand and we're going to say to the Lord, Lord, we need you. As we leave this place, we need, we need you. And I know you're going to do a great work in all of our hearts. I give you praise and thanks for that. In Jesus' name.